0: I was caught between the old GI Bill and the new GI Bill, so I didn't get any assistance, no retirement. I didn't stay long enough to get any of that. And the only educational assistance I got was money that I had put in, and all I could afford to put in over my time was $1,800. And so my wife and I come home, and I'm going to go to Mississippi State on (laughs) $1,800. And I realized it wasn't working, uh, and so... I didn't know what I was going to do with the money, but I held on to it. And the last thing I thought I was going to do with it was what I ended up doing with it. And uh, we got invited to a Towncraft cookware party. Anybody know what Towncraft is? I saw one pan the other day online on eBay for $250. And uh, we went in 1980. It was going to be about, I don't know, 800 to $1,000, $1,200. We went to this party, and I knew there was no reason for us to go because I wasn't going to buy. But a friend of mine that I had been witnessing to and had prayed through to the Holy Ghost and been baptized, and they invited us, new converts, invited us to uh, go to this party. And so I thought, well, what's the danger of going to a party? But anytime you got money, there's danger. <laughs> and uh, but I didn't go to buy. I just went to hear the spiel I'd heard. And you know, they told me before I went, they said, "Man, this is." Five ply bottoms. This thing has got a, a aluminum core and it's stainless steel inside and out. You can stack food up and it's going to last a lifetime and uh, be an heirloom. You can pass it down generation to generation. Oven safe handles. and. I listened to all of that, and I looked at that old aluminum pan that was beat up and stained up, and I thought, you know, the tea tastes all right, cooked in here, and we made cornbread and a cast iron skillet, and uh, that's kind of the cookware we had. We didn't have stainless steel, this and that, but we went to a party, and I'll be, when the guy started with his demonstration, my eyes just got bigger and bigger, and I brought some of it. only reason I brought only this much is because i didn't have a bigger bag but uh some of you ladies i don't know i'm just going to get it out here so i can start putting it together like he did that day i don't know if you've ever seen this stuff but husbands don't let your wife get one of these (laughs) if y'all are into it because this thing here this is 40 years old (laughs) And this pan here would sell alone for $250. Casey cleaned them up a little bit the other day. You need to come back, baby, over to the house. I got some more barkeeper's friend. But uh, my wife used this, and if I counted up the meals she cooked on this, it would be thousands. And not only did we buy, but uh, I bought a set for my pastor and his wife because I said, I'm not going to have better than them. And so this guy pretend today i would put on this little table but that thing's too flimsy for this and i asked the pastor i said you got a table oh yeah there's one on the platform and i said no this is town craft it's not that aluminum junk but anyway this guy took one eye burner and he set this pan on it and put some food in it and then he put that on it and then he put the dome on it and then he got uh, i guess this pan and put it on there. You know, heat rises, and so he just started stacking stuff. He put a vegetable in there, and he put something in here, probably corn. I'm not, I don't remember. Uh, and so then you just keep stacking this stuff up. And uh, I'm not even sure I'm getting it right here, but you get on, put another dome on, and then you pull out another pan, and you put it on. And uh, you just stack this stuff forever. And and he said he had seven things. He cooked a whole meal on one eye. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That would be seven things. And then they had this electric thing that you could plug in and put it on the side. And this thing here weighs probably 15 pounds. That thing's heavy. And uh, it's indestructible. I mean... uh, we used it for 20 years before the kids came along, and then the four kids raised them. And, and I was at uh preach for the former pastor. He celebrated his 40th pastoral anniversary the other day. And we went to that, and we went over to their home. And his wife and her three daughters were cooking a meal. And Brother Lindsay, you know what they were cooking with? They are cooking with that right there. She said, Brother Barry, she said, you don't realize how many church people we have fed in 40 years. She said, the best gift you could have ever given. And I took all of my education money. eventually finished college, but I took all my money and I bought us a set. I bought us everything. It's got graders and all kind of stainless steel stuff, heavy duty, all of it. And I bought us this extra thing, but I didn't have enough money left to buy them the complete set, so I bought them a core. And There's other pans. I, I, I didn't bring it all because I, you know, didn't have, uh, I'd had to have a bigger bag. But anyway, praise God. The reason I bought that was not because of a brochure. It wasn't because of advertisement. It wasn't because that I'd seen it advertised on TV or even word of mouth. Everything I'd heard did not make me buy it. But when I saw the demonstration and I touched it and I held it and I felt it and here it is, it still looks as good with the little cleaning on the bottoms as it did 40 years ago. I figured up that uh, how many months are in 40 years, and how many weeks, and how many meals, and how many days. And this cookware, the complete set, cost us somewhere between 7 and 8 cents a day for 40. It's one of the best investments I've ever made. And I think of all the times we've used it and how we'll pass it on to the kids. But I, there is nothing that will close the deal as powerful as a demonstration A salesman, Uh, you know, slick-talking car salesman. You need those if you have a product that the engine's going to fall apart or if the rings are shot or the transmission's got sawdust put in it to make it not grind until you pull out of the parking lot. You need a slick-talker if you're a shady dealer. But the premium dealers... I bought Land Rover twice. They want you in their most expensive vehicle, and these Land Rover people—they'll take you out to the test track and they'll put this thing in all kind of contortions, kind of like Wheel does when he drives it. And uh, <laughs> but I, I was a friend of mine was looking at a Porsche, and we were at the Porsche dealer, and he said, "Well, get in the thing." And you know these are not cheap vehicles, and. Uh, They put my friend in there. Of course, it was a two-seater, and I couldn't go. And the guy said, I'm going to drive the first lap. But he said, I'm going to let you drive. He said, you push this car as hard as you want. He had a test track. Because they know that the greater chance of making the sale and closing the deal is if you get a demonstration of what this thing can do. Demonstrations are powerful. I've never bought a car without driving it first. I want to see if I'm going to put 200,000 miles and more in 10 years into this thing. I want to see. I want to drive it. I want to hold it. I want to feel it. And um, I remember uh, hearing about World War II. I wasn't born yet. I'm old, but not quite that old. But World War II, there was a talk of an atomic bomb. Albert Einstein in 1906 came up with the theory that the atom could be split, but nobody could do it. Along comes Enrico Fermi and uh, some of these others, and they said, I believe we can do it. Oppenheimer takes the project, and finally, uh, World War II uh, is dragging on, and Germany finally surrenders, but Japan won't surrender, and they're calculating how many soldiers are going to be lost if we invade Japan, and And so about that time, they're working feverishly at Oak Ridge and out at Los Alamos and uh, the Manhattan Project in Chicago and all of these things trying to, to to beat Germany and beat Russia and beat Japan and get the bomb first. And so America, thanks to God, America, and we better thank God we got it first. Japan wouldn't surrender. We've got the bomb. Sure you do. And uh, so, they debated what to do, and the talk went back and forth. And theoretically, you know, the world knew that there could be a bomb, but idle talk and empty threats failed to convince Japan. And finally, the decision was made. Nothing short of a demonstration is going to work. We can't drop it in the desert. That's just sand. Sand. And so they scoured, you know, they didn't want to destroy Tokyo, and they found a place that had about 150,000 people, Hiroshima, Japan, and, and they kept negotiating, and Japan wouldn't, wouldn't give in. And finally, they, on a Sunday morning, they dropped that bomb. I believe it was August the 6th, 1945. For the first time, the world got a demonstration of what power is locked within the atom. It was a game changer. It was a world changer. But it still did not bring Japan to their knees. So you know what they did? A few days later over Nagasaki, they had two bombs. That's all they had built. If they'd run out, if Japan hadn't surrendered, they'd had to send the soldiers in. But they had their second bomb ready. They had. I I saw a documentary on it recently. They had the thing taped together, and they had it just put together because they had harnessed all the the uranium, all the nuclear fuel that they had. They'd put it into this bomb, and, and it was almost, you know, boy, we hope this thing works. And so they used their second bomb and gave another demonstration. And all of a sudden, Japan said, we've seen enough. They didn't know whether we had more or not. But what they saw convinced them. As far as I know, nuclear warfare has never been used since then because the world saw a demonstration. It became known as detente. Once Russia got nuked up and China got nuked up and France and Britain and the U.S. and and Pakistan, India, whoever's got the nukes, Israel, Uh, as long as everybody's got this, because of those two demonstrations... That's why nobody's using nuclear warfare, because they know the power, and once you unleash that, it'd be probably the end of humanity. Paul said that when he began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, he didn't depend on fancy words or eloquence or education, all of which he had. He didn't depend on a degree from a Bible college or enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, I come to you with one thing. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He didn't prepare a smooth sermon. He didn't have a choir that had rehearsed good arrangements of popular songs. He said he didn't want the believer to rely on supporting systems. Nothing. No wisdom, not strength, not ability, not skill, not education, not talent. He said, I come with one weapon and one weapon alone. I come with a demonstration of the spirit and power of Almighty God. Acts 1 and 8, I was promised power after I received the Holy Ghost. Heard of an old country boy wanting wanted to go into logging. He goes and buys this chainsaw. And uh, he said, now nah, a good one. He said, man, this thing's 500 and something bucks. It's the best one I've got. He said, you, you better be right. How many cords can it cut? And so the guy tells him and he goes off and old Bubba tries all week long and he comes back. Puts that chainsaw up on the counter and said, I demand a refund. This thing won't cut half what you said it would. The man said, Well, let's go out back and see what's wrong with it. And they go out there and he went, no, 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 Bubba said, What's that noise? <laughs> Pastor, sometimes I feel like we have this book here, but we've never started the thing. We've never cranked it up. The power is in that gasoline, that internal combustion engine. You put that thing to work and let it start turning a chain and you'll see those trees start dropping and that pupwood truck filling up. But if you're just out there, you know, you're working yourself to death. Might as well get a, a cross cut saw. You can do better than you can with something and not crank it. Paul said, I've got one weapon. I've got a demonstration of the spirit and awe of Almighty God. I'm not here with just words. He said, rather than tell you about Jesus, I'm going to show you Jesus. That your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The church is struggling to gain a foothold among the multitude of religions, and we've relied on everything except the power of God. What method out there have we not tried? Bible studies, 12 week, 10 week, 6 week, 2 week, 1 day, 30 minutes, buses, camps, sale groups, Sunday school, dinners, tracks, billboards, outreach, giveaways, internet, marketing, customer service-oriented services. We changed it from this time to this time. They now most churches are beginning to look like nightclubs. Everybody wearing, you know, looking and we've dropped everything that used to be what a church was supposed to be. We've tried every shape of building, we've tried every venue. We've tried everything out there and we're a non-entity. We were deemed non-essential just a few months ago. We've got this book. We've got something stronger than atomic power. The Israeli Arab Six Day War Have you ever heard testimonies about that when they tried to take over Israel? They said that tanks were just stalling in the desert. Planes were just going off course. Bombs dropping and not exploding. Let me tell you, we have something more powerful than any force in this world. And Paul... What did he say he used? The man who wrote over half the New Testament, evangelized much of Asia, was caught up to the third heaven and had a divine uh, revelation, heard Jesus talk to him audibly. A voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You talk about being converted. He was converted by Jesus Christ from heaven. Martyred. Perhaps the greatest preacher and writer to ever live. And what did he say his method was? Demonstration. I saw the power of a demonstration. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like seeing it. Hallelujah. Well, preacher, let's read another book on evangelism and motivation. And here's my favorite Church Growth Strategies. <laughs> uh, uh, you go to a bookstore, that's all that's there. It's church growth strategies. And the man that reached his known world said, I just came just knowing Jesus and Him crucified. Well, let's expand the Family Life Center. Let's dim the lights and prohibit the common man from participating on the platform. Use the best, the the best musicians, the best singers. Get the latest chorus. We won't sing the same one twice in a row. Let's shorten the service. Coordinate the message and the music. Let's rehearse on Saturday nights. Let's plug in to an iPad and choreograph the entire service start to finish. Pastor, I was at a church preaching out in Georgia. I won't tell you the city, but. I was in Georgia, in big state, a lot of churches. And uh, before service, the pastor calls all the leaders in, and they all got out their iPhones. And he looked to his service leader, and he said, all right. He said, what's on the agenda? And he said, well, he said, so-and-so is going to speak for seven and a half minutes. He said, so-and-so has three. He said, such and such offering, and he tells how long. And he said, at 1127, the evangelist here will get the pulpit. And I was thinking, I was saying, well, where's the Holy Ghost? <laughs> When's his turn? <laughs> did, did you ask God? Did, is there any, there wasn't room for a testimony. There wasn't room for a... I was at another church. This was in North Carolina one time. And um, I was there and, you know, it came up about singing. Well, we don't really have time. Said so we've already got it coordinated out. You weren't here to practice. You weren't this and that, you know. And, and I'm thinking, okay. And, um. Right before I, I uh, Pastor introduced me and right before I stepped up, he said, now I have him at the altar in 30 minutes. And I thought, okay, he just told me that if I don't, I won't be back. Praise God. But we wonder where God is. We wonder where the power of God is. The night my wife got the Holy Ghost, we were in Brunswick, Georgia. The evangelist had preached and he had stopped probably, I don't know, service started around 7, I'm guessing and he had stopped about 8.30 or 9 and it's 10 o'clock and we're at the altar praying. And it's 11 o'clock. We're still at the altar. The crowd is thinned out but there's a faithful few and about 30 or 2 a.m. she starts speaking in that heavenly language. Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can't coordinate that. You can't plan that if you go home because the roast is in the oven. If you want to be the first in line at the restaurant, you're going to move a mighty move. You're going to miss a move of God because God's not on my time clock. He doesn't Answer to my iPad, Hallelujah! He is God, and He answers to no man. I've got to get coordinated with Him. Paul is shipwrecked on an island. You know, hey, converts an entire island. If you were went to an island and you'd never been there, and you'd just been shipwrecked, and you're coughing up seaweed, and and you know, you and you're just trying to get an oriented. Where in the world am I? What just happened? And, and he's immediately, you know, there's. they called them barbarians. The island was Melita. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, they sent him, You build a fire, son. He was a prisoner. And so Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. There came a viper out of the heat. I've read commentaries, and they say that was probably a Russell's viper. For that region of the country. But just, you know, you don't know what that is probably. So just pretend it's a cobra or a rattlesnake or whatever your favorite fear is. Just, you know, you plug in, whatever. But it said, a viper, venomous, fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And here's where the demonstration came. It said, he shook the beast off into the fire and felt no harm. One demonstration. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. Just like that. He didn't teach them a Bible study. He didn't pass out tracts. He didn't introduce himself. Now, I may look rough, but, you know, I, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, you know, and I was a member of the Sanhedrin. You don't know who I am. Jesus Christ himself personally talked to me. All he did was just shake a snake into the fire. And it came to pass that the father of them. Uh, Publius, the leader of the island, he was sick of a fever and a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Another demonstration. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. Pastor, do you know what one healing, one miracle of the Word getting out? you got to come see. you got to come to Brookside. You're not going to believe what's going on there. Praise God. A demonstration would do what nothing else can do. The whole island comes to be healed. What is going to change the skeptical minds of a world with Google instant fact checking at the fingertips? This world is very skeptical. They've seen it all. They've done it all. The surgeon that took out one of the tumors from my wife's body uh, I was talking to him. He told me that he didn't think he could get it, and afterwards I said, did you get it? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I got it. And I said, how much blood loss? And he said, less than two ounces. I said, how did you accomplish that? He said, well, he said, actually, he said, during the surgery, I was on the computer. He said, robotics have access to the scalpels and the forceps. And he said, every time uh, the smallest capillary would bleed, he said, we would instantly cauterize it. He said, the precision, he said, there's no way I could have done it. He said, a surgeon in Germany could have performed your wife's surgery. He said, it's no longer necessary for the doctor to be in the same room. He said, the precision that the instrument can get, once you blow it up, he said, you can see the smallest little deviation. That's the world we live in. Not only that, but it's a right and wrong, mangled and tangled and twisted world. Gender confusion. Don't know which bathroom. Boys competing with girls and crushing their skulls in. And man, look at how I won. Yeah, you won. You're bigger, you're stronger. We live in a world that doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. We've had preaching enough to save the world ten times over. Billy Graham did it with preaching. I heard that he personally preached to over one billion people. I remember repenting. I never saw him in person. But oh, the times in the Baptist church I repented. I preached there last Sunday. The Baptist church I was raised in, they invited me. Their pastor abruptly resigned and they asked me to come preach. This year I preached in five different denominations already. I appreciate, brother. I'm not seeing differences. I'm seeing what we've got in common today. I'm seeing that we all love God. We all want to go to heaven. Hallelujah. You're a precious people called for a purpose to serve him and love him. But we live in a world that words aren't going to get the job done. The Egyptians were pretty advanced for their day. Their magicians and astrologers and soothsayers were not going to be easily persuaded by Moses. God tells Moses at the burning bush, he said, not you go down into Egypt and talk to Pharaoh? No, sir, I was there 40 years. I know what I'm up against. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He said, He's not going to listen. Unless you give me a demonstration. He said, what's in your hand? He said, a rod, throw it down. He throws it down, it turns to a serpent. He said, pick it up by the tail. It became a rod. He said, put your hand in your coat. He does, pulls it out, and it's leprous. He said, put it back, and he does it, and it's clean. He said, you'll have those two demonstrations. But Moses was right. He gets there, and he tries his tricks, and guess what the Egyptians do? they get sticks that can turn into serpents he tries blood to water and frogs and all this and the egyptians hang with him for the first 3 miracles that he performs but god knew that 3 miracles weren't going to convince the egyptians and this generation is a lot smarter than the egyptians I was with a friend the other day, he's into hiking real big, and he said, let me show you something. He had an app on his phone, he pulled it up also on the computer, and when he had moved his mouse, it was showing him the topo of the land, the elevation where the streams were, where the trails were, and I realized watching that, that every inch of this world is mapped out. The depths of the ocean, the heights of the mountain, there's nowhere that you can go and hide and escape We live in a world that at their fingertip has all the accumulated knowledge just at their fingertip. Siri, tell me so and so. This is a world much different than Moses faced. Plague 4, Plague 5, Plague 6, you can call them plague or you can call them demonstration, but it was a demonstration of God's awesome power. It was hailstones, it was water turned into blood, it was darkness over all the land. It was swarms of flies and locusts and the land was decimated. Egypt to this day has not recovered fully from the ten plagues that God sent on them. And the last one was the death of the firstborn reaching even Pharaoh. But they were so hardened that they still chased the Israelites to the Red Sea. And the Israelites, they had the law. They had the prophets. They would eventually have the sacrifices and all of that. And yet there's a day that Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you? between two opinions. You mean the law, teaching, all of that's not enough. The sacrifices, the Ten Commandments, the stories of the plagues, the daily rituals, the annual festivals, all the teachings from the youth up was not enough. And Elijah says to get revival with this generation. It's going to take a demonstration. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered, not a word. And Elijah said, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. The true prophets are always going to be outnumbered and they're always going to be sitting at Jezebel's table. They're always going to do what Jezebel tells them they can do and can't do. And here's alone Elijah. He says, we're going to take a bullock, one for you and one for me. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire. I'll dress the other bullock, I'll lay it on wood, and I'll put no fire under. And call on the name of your gods, I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire. Oh, how we need a demonstration in this hour. What words can't do. What all of our programs are ineffective at accomplishing. Just one demonstration. One demonstration. The God that answers by fire. God answered in such a dramatic way, it brought revival for a space of time. The king had put out the word when you hear the sound of the harp, salt, psaltery, trumpet, you're going to bow to the image I've erected. It's the law. Three Hebrews had purposed in their heart, we're not bowing to anybody but God. Our knee bows to one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That doesn't change. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That never changes. It doesn't matter who's on the throne, who the king or potentate is, or the emperor or the, or the Pharaoh, or what they say. My knee can only bow to Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, We're not bowing, sir. He said, all right. He said, we're going to have a demonstration of what happens when you don't bow to me. Boys, go heat the fire up. It got so hot, it burned up the ones putting the wood in. They put the coal on it. They poured gasoline, kerosene. They threw dynamite in there. They got that thing seven times hotter. We're going to have a demonstration. We're going to barbecue us some religious people today. (laughs) hallelujah and then that fourth man starts walking in the fire the king looks over astonished he said did we not throw three men bound they're loose they're not tied up anymore Hallelujah. And when they came out, not a hair of their head was singed. The smell of smoke. They didn't have to send their clothes to the cleaners. Hallelujah. They came out. The fire had no power over them. One demonstration. And the king said, forget everything I've written. He ripped it into like Pelosi did the, the Trump speech. He, he ripped that thing in, that he had just put out. He ripped it into. And he said, "You bow on nobody but their God, yeah. Daniel. You can't pray for thirty days. They wrote a law just for you. They targeted one person with their law. They're gonna show you. You're getting backed in the corner, old buddy. What are you gonna do?" He gets up that morning. He throws open those shutters. Hello, out there, God. It's me. Daniel, in case you're listening. He opened those windows and he prayed just like he had any other day. They had him now. They bring him in there. They throw him before the king. Sir, did you not say it's time to make a demonstration out of him? You'll whip everybody into shape. All you got to do is throw him in the lion's den. He didn't want to do it, but he did. And you know the story. The demonstration was that God has more power than the lions. God has more power than the fire. In closing, musicians, if you want to come... Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, called Beautiful, to ask alms. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked alms. And Peter fastened his eyes with John, said, Look on us, and he gave heed, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But I'm fixing to show you a demonstration. A friend of mine pastors in Los Angeles, he's got an international church, I forget how many, uh, 25 or 30 something, he may be up to 40 different nationalities attend his church now. And he invited me to come out and he's got a PhD, the pastor does, and so I knew there's nothing I can say. These people haven't heard eloquent wise. He's had every known evangelist Big time people, prophets, apostles, you name it, whatever title you want to put, he's had them preach for him. And he's in Los Angeles, so you know, he's in a high, high profile area and everything he does has to be kind of first class to match those people out there. And he does everything first rate. And he asked me to come preach. And uh, he said, well, how long do you think you'll need? And I said, well, I think I need two weeks. And he said, well, we'll do two weekends. We'll book it with two weekends, bookend it, and preach in the middle. So I figured up I had six or seven times I was going to preach. And I thought, now what am I going to preach out there? And God had been using me in demonstrative ways, just people being healed and different things. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to tailor my messages around letting God show up. I can't wow these people. There's nothing they haven't heard, nothing they haven't seen. But I wonder how long since they've seen a demonstration. And I show up, we fly in on a Wednesday. I wasn't expecting to preach Wednesday night. And he just abruptly, he said, uh, he said can you preach tonight since you got in early? And I said, sure. And so he said, preach and so I had about two hours to get ready and get over to the church and all, and I just I bumped everything up. I only had a few messages prepared, and uh, but I had some others kind of on standby. So I just bumped everything up, and I just went on a Wednesday night. I didn't know. I'd never been there. I didn't know what to expect. And I just, before service even started, I just started walking around looking for people that were sick, laying hands on them. And God began touching them before the music started, before the announcements were made, before everybody was in place. God just started doing things. I ended up, I was supposed to preach six or seven times. I ended up preaching 13 times. They had me preach on the street. They had me preach at a Bible study. One person that they had gotten healed, they said, come pray for my mother and dad. I just went to their home. They took us out to eat to kind of celebrate them being healed and went by. And God healed a man of Parkinson's. It wasn't even a scheduled service. It's just, would you come by my house on your way back to your room? A demonstration does what nothing else can do. Praise God. Before they sing, I want to leave you. I want to finish this story about Peter and John. You know the story. They were called... Before the people saw Him walking, leaping, praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Silver and gold, I don't have. And it so impacted the people. It said they were filled with wonder and amazement. Chapter 4 of Acts starts off. They spake to the people, the priests, the captains, the saints, the Jews, and all these people grieved that they taught and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five 1, one demonstration, one lame man leaping at the name of Jesus, not only affected and won 5,000 converts, it shut up the mouths of the rulers. And it said, Behold, in the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Praise God. Somehow, Pastor, we've got to tap into the power contained in this book. I think we're running out of time. I think the day is far spent. I think the night's at hand. I think darkness is encroaching like never before. Who knows how much longer we're going to have liberty. We may all be accused like Tony Spell was. We may be meeting. They shut it down once. What if they did it again? What if they put the edict out tomorrow? No more open assembly. What if you had to hide like they did in the catacombs and in the early church? And as they're doing around the world in China, they're being persecuted. And around the world, we've had it pretty good here in America. But what if all that changed? Praise God. I think the day is coming. We're going to be brought before rulers. I believe we're going to be like Daniel and three Hebrews and Elijah and all of these of old. I think it's going to take uh, uh, a fiery... uh, distinction between two opinions. I think we're going to have to have some Mount Carmel experience. I'm going to ask you to stand today. Hallelujah. Praise God. I I know the power of a demonstration. I've seen it in the natural. I've seen it in the spiritual. I've read it in this book. Hallelujah. Every time God showed up and showed out, things happened. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I believe in 2021, we're going to see a great move of God. I'm expecting it. Amen. Pastor, I'm going to let you close out the service here. But I think anybody that wants healing, anybody that wants the baptism of the Holy Ghost, anybody that wants to repent, you can't go to heaven without repenting. Now, you can go to heaven sick, but why? Stay sick if you don't have to. (laughs) If it's available, come up and try God out. Just say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I believe there's no restraint with God. We don't need the right venue. We don't need the right day to come along. We don't need the right song to be sung. All of that might be conducive and there's nothing wrong with trying to make it as as convenient for God. But let me tell you, David showed up with nothing but his slingshot and he found some stones to go along with them, and he took down the biggest giant of his day. You have everything needed. Hallelujah. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We have a name. And there's power in that name. Yes, Praise God. I'm going to ask you to just come around. If you're sick in your body, we're going to anoint you. Pray for you. Yes. Amen.